0: How can its saltiness be restored? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thomas Merton, the great 20th century monk, priest, and spiritual writer once said, every moment and every event of every man's life on earth plants something in his soul. This idea, at least for me, instills something of a sense of wonder, but also, admittedly, fear. What exactly has been planted in us, I wonder? I believe Merton's image resonates easily with us in that we do not passively experience our lives, but are active agents who respond, who react, and yes, even create motions and happenings. In forming a response, in deciding to react, in the exercise of creativity, something of whatever event is left with us, a memory, a feeling, an insight. These imprints in turn might condition a future response, a reaction or a movement in our lives. There is a story to our lives. We naturally create self-narratives and common narratives to make sense of a sequence, to justify the progression of time. We are not just a random bundle of isolated events, but a complex web of all that has gone before, all that has brought us to this point, and all that we hope one day to be and this stands for individuals as well as communities. Certain aspects of our stories will seem of no consequence and have no real bearing upon our lives. Others will challenge us, perhaps even systemically change us. There are some things over which we have no control or authority and others which we most definitely do even when we choose to ignore that power. Our duty, then, to ourselves and to others is to be aware of how the numerous plantings in our soul forms us as individuals. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within, wrote St. Paul? Some plantings are good and life-enriching, and others are destabilizing. This isn't as simple as cultivating virtue and casting out vice. Life cannot be sparkling all the time, and the complexities of the human condition mean there are mixed blessings and moral grey areas. There are periods in life which are hard, which are taxing, and we feel lost, hopeless. Feelings of doubt or depression, confusion and exhaustion are planted within our souls and it's tricky to shift them, to make sense of them. It may feel, as Jesus puts it, the salt has lost its saltiness. But this image is honestly quite baffling. Salt, by its very properties, by its very nature, cannot lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride is a very stable compound and does not lose its essence over time. This then is more of a proverbial image rather than a factual statement. In the ancient world, salt was of the utmost importance. It was an essential in life. It was used to enhance food as it is today, but that was not its primary function. Its chief function was in the preservation of food and other perishables. Its discovery revolutionized the old world. Suddenly, the trade, the transportation, and the storage of perishables was possible. Such was its central importance that salt itself became something of a currency. To have salt meant you were wealthy. preserved the goodness of something. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. This says something about our vocation as Christians. We are called to protect what is good in the world today, to stand up for what is true and honorable and pure and life-giving. We are to recognize what is good and to point it out and bring it to the experience of others. We are to preserve what is good, that others may encounter it and be nourished by it themselves. This is a work of love. We labor for the betterment of others. Now this sounds very worthy and noble, but this ought not to inflate our sense of importance, nor reduce our sense of self. We are not the guardians of all that is good. And moreover, we can lose sight of what is good and prefer instead what is not. When life takes a turn, when salt loses its saltiness, when the essence of what is good escapes us, what can we do? In times like this, we realise just how vulnerable we are in the undertaking of the work of love, in the wanting to share what is good, we open ourselves up to others and we can get hurt. This may lead us to want to stop, to hide ourselves away, to harden our hearts. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure you are keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the coffin of your selfishness. But in that coffin, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change, it will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Our brokenness isn't something to be ashamed of. It is through being broken that an old good can be redeemed or a new good can be discovered. Jesus took our condition, our humanity upon himself and was broken. But this wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the point at which God puts the full stop. Jesus rose to new life in his resurrection, a life that acknowledged the brokenness of the old and not being limited by it, opened the way to new possibilities, new growth, new opportunities. Jesus offers this sort of life to us here and now, a life that is imperishable. He strengthens us with a power that preserves what is good and works to uncover the redeemable good in us no matter where we go or what we do. Again, St. Paul wrote, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. No matter how broken things may feel, There is a power at work in us that continually seeks what is good in what can be. In times of hardship then, we do well to remember our first good, that first truth, that first love with which we gave ourselves to God and to each other, and know that hope, change, growth, and life are never far away. Amen.